Welcome to You Might Relate, a podcast where we take relationships and mental health to the next level. I am Stacy Heaps, a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing therapy for the last 15 years. There are counseling concepts and stories that I am excited to share. When we know better, we do better. Together, let's get to a place of radical acceptance of where we are while improving relationships and tackling life's transitions, one therapy concept and one story at a time. So let's get started to see if you relate. Welcome to You Might Relate. This is Stephen White, and he works full-time at the Heritage Treatment Center in Provo. He plays football, he loves spending time with his daughter, and he is going to school in business at UVU. And he is my guest today because November is National Adoption Month, where we bring awareness to adoption, why people place their babies for adoption. And actually, Stephen, you are my first male guest on this podcast, and you're a birth father. So you have celebrity status here. Thank you so much for coming on and helping us understand adoption a little bit more. Yeah, no problem. Okay. How old were you when you and Nicole, the birth mom, met? I was about 20, I'd say 23, 22 or 23 around there. Okay. 22, 23. And how long were you guys dating before you got pregnant? I think we started dating in October around like Halloween. Yeah. Around this time. We found out she was pregnant in January. It wasn't that long. And then in January, when you found out, what are your emotions? What's going through your head? You're going to have a baby on the way. Yeah. At first, I mean, we were both pretty scared. We grew up LBDS and it wasn't the traditional way. And so we were nervous. And honestly, that was my biggest thing. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. How are we going to make it work? Mm-hmm. Things like that. I just got back from my mission not too long ago. So it was just a lot. Where did you and I was already, your mission? I served in Mexico. Oh, Mexico. Okay. So you had just gotten back from your mission, met Nicole. I'd probably been, been back like a year. I moved out here to Utah and feel like I was really nervous and... I didn't feel like it was something that I could just talk to people about. And so that was how it began. And then once Nicole had told her family, parents about it, we had a big sit down and they just kind of sat us down. We're like, okay, so what's the deal? Are you guys going to get married? What are you guys going to do? And at that point, I was love Nicole, but I don't think it would be a great marriage, you know? I didn't think we were a good match. At that time, my parents had just been going through a divorce. And so I was already very skeptical about marriage. And so that wasn't really something that I was looking into doing. And so they're like, okay, well, if you guys aren't getting married, then we're going to go the adoption route. And they just kind of didn't give me a choice there. They're like, Either that's the two options that you have. I remember I was talking to my mom and my family about it, and they were super opposed to it. We wanted to keep the baby. Let's do everything that we can. And that's kind of all I was hearing from my side, my family. And at that point, I was like, well, let me go through the process and see what it's like. 
and that's kind of how it all started. Wow. So her parents were kind of taking the lead. Yeah. And being real, just concerned for their daughter and just wanted a plan for her, sounds like. So you found out in January. So that means Crosby was born in September, October. September. September. Okay. And so during those months, because now you have said, okay, we're not together, right? Yeah. So then what were those months like? They were very hard. Those months were kind of where I felt like the loneliest just because if I wasn't going to be keeping the baby, I didn't feel like I should be talking about it. And so I just remember trying to hold things together so people didn't know what I was going to do. There was some communication with me and Nicole, but it wasn't like it was before. Like we weren't dating and so... We would meet up and just kind of everything was kind of business talk for those months. It was pretty lonely until we started. I remember we went to the LDS family services and that was a day where it just, it made things really real for me. About yeah, when was that so, in your, in this timeline? When did you go to LDS family um, services? I want to say it was only maybe around March or something. Okay. It was right at the beginning of spring, I think, was when we went there. Okay. And so, and so what was that day like? You went into LDS Zombie Service. They probably had a caseworker for you. I was living over in that area. And so I just felt like everything was so secretive. Oh. And so like I was driving there and then it was like on campus where a lot of my friends, you know, I don't know they're going to see me. Wait, LDS Zombie yes. Services was on campus? It's across the street from BYU, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you felt pretty alone in this process. You didn't have the support of your family to place for adoption, but you didn't want to disrespect Nicole's family, it sounds like, and not place. So you're just kind of robotic and you can't really talk to anyone about it because in the end, you're not going to come home with a baby to take care of and provide for. And so... Oh, you're kind of in a hard spot there. Yeah, it really was. And what when you feel lonely, what does that do for your mental health? What else was going on for you? Yeah, my mental health was not great then. I kept up appearances, so I would still hang out with friends and try to do stuff, make it seem like nothing was going on. But internally is where I felt like was just going through the emotions just working a lot and not focusing on anything in particular, just trying to get through things. So. Mm. Okay, so take me through the day that you went to LDS Family Services. What was that like? I remember getting there and we I just met Nicole there. We didn't ride there together or anything. Met her there. A little awkward at first and then they started talking about the different adoptions. And when they had talked about an open adoption, I didn't know that that was even a thing. And my family didn't know either. So that I feel like became more comforting. Like, oh, if we do do it, let's make sure the deal the open adoption. So that way I can still see a child. My family could still see the child. And I remember getting off the, or leaving there and just talking to my mom. At that point, we weren't talking. She was pretty upset. and Oh, yeah, she, you can imagine. That's my grandbaby. What are you doing? 
Yep. And so I told her about there is this open adoption where, you know, we can be a, still be a part of the child's life and everything. And she still wasn't very supportive, but I feel like that eased it a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she was, was really hurting about this. Yeah. Are you the first kid in the family or where do you fall? There's five of us and I'm the middle one. Okay. I have two older and two younger. And oh, so you are right smack dab. And so did she already have grandkids by that point? She had one. Avery's my brother, his son was born in April and then Crosby was born in September. So it wasn't. Well, because that's what happens. Sometimes it's so fun to have grandkids close in age and you can see them grow up together yeah. and play together. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So I can feel her heartache right now. Just hearing this, you're kind of being pulled in two different directions here. Yep. So you went that first time. How many more visits did you make to LDS Family Services? I think I only went one more time there. That was when they had told us about the families that they wanted us to meet. And they gave us the different ones. And that was about it because we only met with one family. Oh, you did? Yeah. Were you given more choices, but then you only yeah. had one family? So one of the meet the families in person. We met with the McCreekins. We I remember that day just being super nervous about it. Before you met them, what was the process in choosing them? Because didn't they give you a whole bunch of families to choose from? Yeah. So specifically, I wanted I wanted Crosby to be with a family of color. I just felt like he would feel more at home and feel that with a person of color. That was one one of my biggest things. I really wanted a dad. And so when I saw that they were that, and I was like, okay, we could start here. And that's where we began. Just so were they the only biracial couple that you were looking at at the time? They're the one that stood out to me, but I don't remember. It's kind of, I don't, yeah, it's kind of, it was like, like I said, it was a really kind of dark time. And so I didn't think about things much. I just tried to do everything to get my mind off of it. And so as far as going through the there and looking at the other couples or families, I don't remember a, a whole lot about it. So it sounds like this couple stood out to both of you. We just, we met with the McCreekins first. From there, we just knew right away. Okay, you got to tell me about this meeting. Where did you guys meet? We met them at a park. I want to say we met a couple of times, but I think the one meeting that we had with the kids was the thing that sold it to me. Like Angie told me her story about how she always wanted to adopt, how she was adopted. I definitely felt like, okay, well, that's good. I know that she's already been through it be able to help, you know, if he does have questions, stuff like that, she'd be more receptive, being open and everything. Right. And so I remember that. And then just meeting her kids. And I loved the way that they all interacted. And they were just respectful and big fun and everything. And I would just like picture I'm like, okay, looking at them, he fits in perfectly. Like you wouldn't know. I loved them. They just felt right. And I know Nicole was the same way. We got done and we're like, wow, we both were really amazed with them. And we didn't even meet up with anybody else. 
did you ask the McCreekins question or just kind of get a feel for it oh, and yeah. hang out with them or? Yeah, so we, we definitely asked them questions. I remember thinking, okay, what type of questions do I want to ask? I felt like it was awkward. I'm already like a super introverted person and it's a touchy subject, you know? Yeah. And placing, you know, our child with someone and you don't really know much about them. And so just trying to get as much information as possible. And man, that's all I could do. Yeah. After you met with him that first time, was there kind of a relief? Okay, this could be okay. My heart is breaking, but it's not going to completely ruin me. Yep. There definitely was like, especially with it being an open adoption and then talking with them about it. They're like, yeah, you can be as involved as you want. If you want to see him so often, then yeah, that's okay with us. If you'd rather not have contact, then that's okay as well. Like whatever you guys want, we'll respect that. And I felt like that definitely eased my mind because at first when he was born, I just kind of wanted to give him the space to be able to be with them. But the more older he got, I was like, okay, I want to see him. And that became a more frequent thing where I would see him. Wow. That's actually really kind of you too, because you could have probably seen him more at first, but you're saying, I want to give them some time. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think that was thoughtful of you, but probably really hard. Yeah. Oh, did you meet them a few other times after that initial meeting? I, I want to say we met at least a couple times. I was kind of set from that first meeting that this that they was were the, the ones. Yeah. So how did you guys tell them that they were the ones? Yeah, so we had an Oprah type thing. <laughs> yeah. I want to say when we met with them, again, we met with them in person again. And, and that's when we, you know, let them know that they were the ones that we had chose. We had thought about it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we didn't even meet with other people. So we were pretty sure that that was the one, that they were the family. Okay. I'm just assuming things were going okay. And then it's time for Nicole to have the baby. And so mm-hmm. tell me, were you involved with that or did you keep your distance? What was that like? I wanted to be involved with that as much as possible. And I remember I was at work and I think I got a text message or maybe she called me and had told me that she had just had him. So it was already over. And then I went to the hospital. I left work and just went there and got to kind of visit with them for a little bit. And I held them and I went that day. And then I want to say I went one more time right before he went home with the McCreekins. So then by that time, you had wrapped your mind around, I'm not going to be parenting him. McCreekins are parenting him, but I want to be at the hospital when he's born. I want to be as involved as I can be. You got there right after he was born. Is that right? Yeah, I got there after. What was that like, meeting your son for the first time? That was a hard moment because I felt like I really wanted, you know, like when you hold your child, you're like, this is my child. This is I'm going to be raising. And I had to kind of put those feelings I felt away. Like, yeah, this is my child, but he's not going home with me. He's not. I feel like I kind of shut those feelings away or shut them off, which now looking back, I regret because it could have been a lot more meaningful. And I felt like at that point, 
it just made me too sad to think about it. I wasn't there for very long. I'd say probably an hour or so, and I just left. And did you get in your car and cry? What did you do? Um, I actually, that was something that I struggled with, with my emotions, and I wouldn't allow myself to, like, cry. I just kind of held it in and pushed it down. Yeah, you just got to get over it, and so. That's so hard. So you didn't allow yourself to cry at all. I just imagine a big release. Oh, I just want you to tell me that you cried it out. Honestly, growing up as a kid, I was very emotional and I cried a lot as a kid. And then as I got older, I just remember thinking like, oh, I can't be like this. You got to turn it off. I literally just didn't cry for, I don't know, a while. I had a lot of hard things happen in that span of time and I just never cried. I didn't cry until I remember it was 2019. So that was my first time crying and who knows how long. That was a whole experience and that's when I started therapy and I did things around then. See how it opens up doors when you let your emotions out. We oh yeah. Let them out. Okay, so you were just holding it in or stuffing it down, but then you came back the next day, which I imagine was so hard again, because you're in pain. Yeah. And it's like you're putting yourself in that pain, but you just want to see him again. Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly how it went. I really think I just kind of blocked it out because I, I can't recall exactly how it went. You know, traumatic events, that's what happens is... Our brains say, that's not safe. Just dissociate. You're just a robot. And you'll see times in your life when we can't recall things because something was traumatic and our brains were trying to keep us safe. Were you there when they placed Crosby in the McCreekins' arms? No, that's the sad thing. Like, I wish I did. I wish I would have soaked in that a little bit more. But I feel like I just kind of tuned it out. And so... Let's just pretend that there's a whole bunch of birth fathers listening to this and they're unsure about how to handle hospital scenarios. What is something that you would tell them? I would say just be present, not just physically present, but like your emotions, let yourself feel everything that's going on. Let their, you know, you want to love that child. And I mean, you do, you have that opportunity to do it. And you can. So just be 100% present in the moment. Enjoy that time that you get to, you know, see your child. And that's kind of what I would do differently. Just make sure that it was something that I remembered. And I would add, if, if any of you birth fathers are listening, that maybe writing a letter to your child and just stating your love and affection and your dreams and hopes and why you chose the family that you chose so that and write it then, and it's raw, and it's there for, so your child can read it later. But also it's releasing because you're writing it down. Yes, I 100% I agree with that because I recently have gotten into writing. Yeah, that's been a great outlet. So if I would have been able to you know, articulate everything I wanted to say then, uh-huh. it would be a lot easier, I feel like. After he was placed and you kind of took some time off from contact with the McCreekins. Is that right? 
Yeah. Are you emailing? Are you calling? Are you texting? And how often was that? I would text them. Honestly, I don't think I, besides like a little text here and there, and then he had to have been at least a few months old. I went to visit him with my mom. Oh, I and, that was so good for your mom. Yeah. And I think that's where she changed completely because she got to meet them and see, like I would tell her that they're an amazing family. You'd love them. And she got to see it firsthand. And I think that's when her whole dynamic shifted and she was supportive and she, she loves Angie and them. And so... Oh, that I know that Angie just loves your family so much. Then when did you start kind of coming around more and seeing him more? I'd probably say it was like every six months for the first little bit. And then as he got older, like two, three, you know, I started going mm-hmm. a little bit more, but it still wasn't like super frequent. I, I really enjoyed, I even like, I would tell like certain friends, and then they'd be like, I want to meet him. And so then I would take that friend there. So I, I had a few friends after a while that actually went there with me. It's fun because before you were feeling so lonely. I can't talk to anyone about this. And now you're like, come meet this kid that I created. <laughs> He's awesome. And the family's awesome. And you're taking your friends to be included in that life of yours. Yeah. And that, I think that helped me out a ton. And then since then... I've been a lot more open about it. I also, I took a step away from the church. Mm-hmm. And from there, I felt like I could be a little bit more authentic and say, hey, yeah, this happened, but it got me this beautiful child and he's great and he's with an awesome family. Once I took that aspect out of it, I was already giving myself enough shame. I felt like I couldn't communicate and have more shame from other people, so... So are you saying the shame kind of came that you had premarital sex before marriage mm-hmm. and, and, and so that's kind of why it was secret that, and you couldn't be open with your friends. There's that, but there's the fact that I felt guilty, like not keeping him. So my biological dad and my mom got divorced. I was pretty young. I was like maybe one or two. I talked to him when I was eight years old. I remember that conversation and he made like promises and things. And then the next time I talked to him, well, next time I heard from him was when I turned 18. He left me a voicemail and I never called back and then he didn't call back. For me, I didn't ever want to be like that. And I wanted to be there for my child. I felt like that was really hard to just, you know, give him away and feel like I wasn't being there for him. Mm-hmm. The open adoption kind of helped me through that. I still get to see him. I went and visited there in August. I was talking to my girlfriend and she went with me. Yeah. And I remember talking to her about what he knows. Oh. And because I would go over there and I would hang out and we'd have fun and stuff. Does he just know that I'm like, you know, just this fun batch that comes around? It's really fun. He comes and plays football with me and jumps on the trampoline. But no, I didn't know. And so she's like, you should have that conversation with him while you're here. And so she talked with Angie and Angie had told her, yeah, he knows. 
He's aware of things. If he has questions, we're pretty open about talking. I remember we were watching a movie and I just started talking to him. Like, oh, so, you know, yeah, we look a lot alike, you know, that's, he's like, well, yeah, yeah. I was like, you know why we ha we have all these similarities and everything? Because we had talked, he had been painting like his nails. I do that too sometimes. I paint my nails as well. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And I bought him like fingernail and we painted our nails together. I just remember talking to him and he's like, yeah, we just kind of had a conversation about it. I don't know, like at this stage, how much he'll remember it, but... Now that I know, like, I've had that conversation and that I'm here, I told him if you ever have any questions or anything, he can always ask me, you have my number, will they have my number and call whenever and talk to him a couple of times since we've been back. And What do you want Crosby to know? You could have him know anything. What would you want for him to know? That I do love him a lot, that I am here for him with whatever he needs and I love him regardless. It's an unconditional love. And I know that it probably when he gets older that it's going to hurt seeing me with, you know, a family. So I like for him to know that he is part of the family and we do love him. And I want to be there as much as he wants me to. My father wasn't there and I don't want that to happen. And I want to be as present as possible. I, I think that there's, I mean, I feel from you just a sense of gratitude for them and the life that he's living right now. And that, yeah, as he gets older and your daughter gets older, that they'll be able to meet and know that each other are siblings and there's just yeah. going to be so much love. Does it sting sometimes to think, oh, that could have been me raising him? And I feel like I don't let myself get there. Because I know that he is in a very safe, loving family. And I'm working to get that, mm -hmm. you know. I don't know. I see him growing up. And I wish that, you know, I was there seeing it grow up every day. Because I have my daughter. And, like, I go two weeks without seeing her. And I feel like she's completely different. I'd like to see that. I wish it, we didn't live so far away. And I wish I would have taken advantage of it more when I when they were so close and so open to like me coming around. I feel like now we're at a good spot, you know, and I could go there and spend a week, you know, and be able to hang out with them. What would you say to someone, you know, a birth father or parents who have a son who is trying to decide with the birth mother what to do? What do you suggest? How do you make that decision? I always go with what I feel. I think things logically, but then I have like a gut feeling. And I just felt like I knew that they were going to be great for him. I think you just have to keep searching and don't feel like you have to settle on a certain family. There is a, a perfect family, you know, for your child. I feel like you have the opportunity to be picky. And if you want to meet with a bunch of families, then I think you should. And do what feels right. Find the family that feels right for it. And what about choosing adoption at all? Would you suggest it? Would you not suggest it? Or would you say it just has to be the right circumstance? Or Obviously, I think the right circumstances. But also, like, when I would think of, like, adoption, I thought of, 
you ever seen like the old carrot trap movie, like where they live forever away and they don't know that they're even siblings. That's how I pictured adoption. It doesn't have to be like that way. Like you can be as involved as you like. And when you're picking the family, like be honest with them, like say, hey, I want to be involved as much as possible or I don't want to be involved. That's your preference. And you get to decide that. Yeah, when you're going through the, the selection, make sure that they're in line with what you do want, want to happen, I guess. I love that. So you just wanted people who were genuine for your son to be raised with. Yeah, because I feel like right now, that's what I'm going through. Like, I want to 100% be me. And I would want, you know, Crosby to be 100% himself. And I feel like with the McCreekins, he is, they're very supportive of him. And they have a lot, a lot of love for it. So. Oh my gosh, so much. What do you want to speak about adoption that maybe people don't know or, you know, about birth fathers in particular? Is there anything that I've missed? Honestly, I just think educating, like that's something I had zero education on. And so the more educated I got, the better off it, it became because it was, you can tailor it to what you want. And an, ado- an adoption. So it doesn't just have to be so black and white. It's a lot of room for gray and you can do what you'd like. I feel like just doing your research, being very open and like what you'd want your role to be in the adoption and finding someone that kind of fits in there. Right. Like, so yeah. it's just kind of learning about it, learning what could be. Be open to it. Yeah. It wasn't my first choice, but... I felt like I was open to it. And I now know that was the right choice. Yes. And I think Crosby, that's something that's going to help his mental health and his development and his self and his identity is knowing that his birth mom and birth father chose this specific family for him. And you're all loving each other and supportive of and have Crosby's best interest in mind. I think the research shows that kids who are adopted and know why they are placed and know their birth parents have a higher self-esteem than the kids who are not adopted. So that's pretty cool that Crosby has that. Yes, it's amazing. I want to be able to, you know, keep having these conversations with them because I know as you get older, you're going to have different questions and I'll be there to answer them. I'm sure Nicole will as well. Is there anything else that you would want anyone at all to know about your story or about adoption? I would say to seek help when you are going through it. I feel like therapy wasn't something that I had ever thought I would do and didn't really, but it's something that has helped me. And it took me years, even after all that, it's still a few more years than it was until I got to that point where I felt like I did. And then it just years and years of everything pent up, came out. And so I would say find people that you can trust to talk to. And also, you know, therapy is a good option to be able to help, you know. On this podcast, we talk a lot about Byron Katie. So she has this amazing tool that she created because she says, When we have positive thoughts, they don't cause us suffering. When we have negative thoughts that we don't believe, those don't cause us suffering. When we have negative thoughts that we do believe, 
that's what causes us suffering. And so in the adoption arena, you could use Byron Katie's rule that, okay, I don't have to believe my thoughts that this is going to be a terrible thing. Is it a terrible thing? Oh, it actually isn't. It's actually a great thing. And so then you didn't cause yourself as much suffering because you ended up allowing it to be a beautiful thing. And it was a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Gosh, Stephen, I'm proud of you, first of all, and for placing a child for adoption, for eventually getting therapy, for keeping in contact with the Creekins and not just keeping in contact, but just loving and giving Crosby such a wonderful life. And I think in that you are giving both of yourselves just this beautiful relationship. Thank you for sharing all of your thoughts and feelings and I have sure enjoyed talking with you and meeting you in person. Well, over yeah, Zoom. That's great for me because I've, like I said, I've never really been outspoken about it. So now here's the record and people can know. And... Do you have an Instagram or a Facebook page if they want to talk mm. more about it? So it's Stephen, which is my first name, S-T-E-F-A-N, and then underscore my middle name, Shabazz, and that's S H E. B-A-Z-Z. Okay. Thank you so much for being on. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me today on You Might Relate. I hope this topic brought understanding and insight. And if you can relate to something in today's episode, subscribe and leave a review. I would love, love, love to hear your thoughts. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at You Might Relate Podcast. And be sure to share this episode with your friends. The more understanding we create, the better we are as humans. You are in charge of your day, so go make it a good one. Catch you next time.